Welcome to the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. here let's see can you hear okay if at any time you can't hear just give me a shout because I'm sitting here in Tokyo today and it's just the most ordinary thing my son is getting ready to go to college but it's a, a sacred moment for me as his father it's most ordinary but it's sacred it's special and there are things we do every day that we don't think about as anything special. But it is all special. Walking the dog, bowing to a Buddha statue, breathing, contemplating emptiness. It's all wondrous. It's all our life. Part of our work here at Tree Leaf, where we say all of life is our temple, is to remind ourselves that you don't have to go to a, a temple with a great Buddhist statue like this one and uh, bow. Actually, this, this little Buddha statue, it's about, uh, I don't know, that big. <laughs> but you don't even need a Buddha statue. Everything is Buddha, we say. Everything, everybody. But one of the things we do in a Buddhist group to remind ourselves of special sacredness of all things is to chant. And sometimes we chant various verses, and we don't give them much thought, which is good when chanting, because when you're chanting some kinds of chant, you should actually forget the words, forget the meaning, and just become the sound, you know. Uh, the Heart Sutra, for example, we're going to, I think very soon, we'll study what the Heart Sutra means as a work of Buddhist doctrine and philosophy, a teaching. But when you re recite the Heart Sutra and you move with the Heart Sutra, it's a dance. It's becoming the sound. It's something beyond the words. But these little chants we're going to look at today also have meaning. So we should perhaps reflect on what they say. We recite these daily. We recite them at the end of our Zazenkai. We're going to recite them, or Sekishi is, because I'm not going to be here. I have to go. But Sekishi is going to recite these with all of you at the, the end of today's Zazenkai. And the first is the 
verse of atonement. And what is that? Well, I usually explain to people who come to Zazen and Scuba that it means um, saying we're sorry and uh, reflecting on the past week and longer when we've done some harmful things and reflecting on that and making a little vow to ourselves and to life that we're going to try to do better. So let's think about what these words mean. These words, too, are going to be part of our Jukai ceremony in January, so it's good to look at them, too. And uh, we were reflecting on some of them uh, in our precept study this week. There's a lot of, uh, shall we say, common ground, such as the first words, all harmful acts, words, and thoughts. And what is harmful? Boy, there was a lot of debate on that, I saw, in the uh, precept discussions. What is harm? What is harm? And uh, Buddhist philosophers have asked that very same question for a couple of thousand years because it was very important to understand. Kirk and I, by the way, on the Zen of Everything podcast this week, happened to be talking about karma, which I'm going to post today. So there's a, a little common ground there in the discussion, but Buddhist philosophers of the past had to really worry what is harm and what is not harm and what is more harmful than something else because, as I say, it's a matter of life and death and life again. Because uh, basically karma is our, in Buddhism, volitional acts and in traditional Buddhism, some was more serious than others. Uh, basically, uh, for example, killing somebody is not the same as for a moment wanting to kill somebody but not doing it, which is not the same as for a moment getting really angry, which is not the same as having a dream in your sleep of maybe killing someone. But the philosophers of old used to worry about what is harm and the Zen folks were not really into it for a few reasons. We weren't so philosophical about it. One reason is you know it when you see it, which I can compare about to something like sailing a boat. What is good sailing? And you could say good sailing is when you keep the boat precisely on course and your sails are perfectly stretched and the wheel is perfectly held at 45 degrees. Well, that's one way to look at it. Another way to say is uh, good sailing is when you get to where you're going, the boat doesn't turn over, and you avoid the rocks. There, we're done. It's very simple. It's a lot like that in life, too. Harm is something you know it when you see it. because I've damaged somebody or something. I've hurt something. And usually we say it's through our acts, our words, and our thoughts. But of course, acts, we tend to say in Buddhism, are more serious. 
because picking up a rock and hitting someone with it is not the same as saying, I'm going to take a rock and hit you, which is not the same about just thinking about hitting Sekishi with a rock. Not that I'm actually going to do that Sekishi. I rarely think about that. Rarely, rarely think about hitting Sekishi. And I'm also going to go further and say that not all acts have the outcomes that are necessarily just good and just bad. For example, my grandparents met because of World War I. If there was no war, I would not be here, I guess. So even acts of war and violence, you know, kind of have a good side. But in Buddhism, the important thing was what we intend. If I intend something harmful, that's what counts, not what actually happens. If I step on an ant or accidentally drop a rock on Sekishi and I didn't intend to, uh, basically in Buddhism, you're not responsible. I guess you are if you're really, really, really careless. It's a little bit like uh, I compare it to uh, driving law. You know, if you get in the car and you didn't repair the brakes and your car crashes, even though you didn't intend to hit somebody, but you didn't repair the brakes, that is kind of, I guess there's a certain responsibility in both the Buddha's law and the civil law. But uh, basically, if I accidentally do something, you're not responsible in Buddhism. And if I intend to do good and it turns out bad, you're not responsible either. You intend to do harm. And what is harm? Usually are acts, words, and thoughts based on excess desire, anger, and divided thinking, which covers a lot. Excess desire usually causes us to take what's not ours, to steal. To be greedy, to start a war because we want something instead of sharing, not being generous. Uh, to misuse sexuality by lying to someone because our excess desire for sex causes us to be untruthful. Uh, violence can be uh, yelling at someone, abusing someone, causing them psychological pain or picking up a rock or a gun and shooting someone in anger. Divided thinking can be things like jealousy. And it also, that includes some desire too, doesn't it? Because I want what he has, so I'm jealous. And um, those three words, excess desire or greed, anger, ignorance, which is basically divided thinking, cover a lot of ground. And you know this harm when you see it. So in our Jukai, all our precepts basically come down to that. Because, basically, I don't know about hells in future lives, but I know the hell I can have in my heart when it's filled with anger and excess desire and jealousy and division. Unfortunately, a lot of our society these days seems to be just that. Boy, oh boy. A lot of excess desire, a lot of greed, a lot of anger, a lot of violence, a lot of me and you and I hate you and I... Oh. So that's a kind of hell. 
and uh, our practice is to get away from that and make a kind of world of peace. I'm not going to say heaven because I don't want you to think that you're going to get free ice cream sun Sundays for all eternity, not, not anything like that. I mean, a world of peace, gentleness, where you're at home, union. We can make that beginning in our heart by doing the opposite of this. Moderating our desires, being filled with peace and calm in our heart and acceptance rather than anger. Thinking about unifying and being together and one rather than division, not being jealous, being glad at the success of others, for example. Isn't that much better? See, it's like I said, you know it when you see it. You know jealousy when you see it, and you know being glad for someone else's success when you see it. Uh, President Trump is sick today. A lot of people, oh, I'm really glad he deserved it. That's his karma. We don't do that. We don't do that. We wish him to be better, no matter how you feel about it. It's just, don't you feel better saying, I hope he's better. I hope he's Nicer in a lot of ways, frankly, but I'm not going to get into politics. So, in traditional Buddhism, we say here, ever committed by me since of old. And in traditional Buddhism, that meant in past lives. And you can believe in that, that's fine. But even if you just believe in last Tuesday or 10 years ago, the actions we did in the past or the mindset we had in the past carries with us into the future. And even if you say that's going to be a life after this one or next week or 10 years from now, there are effects. And I've seen it. I've seen people do something bad a week ago and they carry the pain in their heart today. I see some you know, my joke about the Jewish people, they, uh, which I, I can say this because I am of Jewish heritage. We remember what was done 3,000 years ago and we're not going to forget. Okay. There's remember, but we also have to let some things go. My mother, she's in the left this visible world long ago. Boy, she could remember something from 1950 that somebody said to her. My uncle once said to me in 1955 this thing, and I cannot forgive him. But, Mom, it's 1989, you know, which, okay. So this is what we do to ourselves. A lot of Buddhism is releasing, letting the past go, beginning again here, promising to do better. Should we forget what the injustice that was done 3,000 years ago or 30 years ago? There are some things it's okay to recall, to feel the pain of it if you need to. I have victims in the Sangha, for example, of child abuse, and they say, should I forgive the person who abused me as a child? I say, no, you can remember the pain. You can even be a little angry inside, but at the same time, don't be a prisoner of that and let it go too. And we begin again here and try not to carry the anger into the next generation, you see.
So that's what we do. We try to learn from the past, remember the past, but not carry it into the future and do better. Makes a better life for others, makes a better world, makes a better life for us. Now the verse goes on and says, on account of beginningless greed, anger, excuse me, be greed, anger, and ignorance. It just, you know, said that it's from the past, but it also says it's beginningless. Timeless. I don't want to get into Buddhist conceptions of the world, but there's a sense that there's something about this world of beginnings and ends and past and future that is also timeless. We sit Zazen to know a realm where there is no greed, where there is no division, where there are no two people to fight. You know, human beings think peace and war, mine and yours. I, that peace there, in peace and war, I call the peace with a small p. In our practice, there's, in our zazen, there's a peace so big, it holds all this world's peace and war. So that's why I say what you feel in your heart as a human being, my idea of peace is very different from this big peace, which is so big, it even holds the ugly things. I sometimes say it's so beautiful, it holds with a big B, it holds the small B, beautiful and the ugly. It's so whole that it holds you and me. So what is there to fight about like that? So even though we have this greed, anger, and ignorance, they come from this beginningless whatever. Our life, living in this world seemingly as separate beings, is this timeless wholeness. And yet we live in a world that's sometimes so ugly or so beautiful depending on our actions, and our actions are what do it. Oh, there are some things in the world, you know, like COVID is not being done by anyone, it's just a natural thing, and we say, oh, that's ugly. Well, yes, but it's also just natural too. And a lot of our actions as human beings are made by us. We make this world ugly or beautiful by our thoughts about it. You know, you put on dark glasses, the world seems dark. You put on rose-colored glasses, the world seems rosy. You, 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 we, who ha hasn't had this day? You go into the same situation two days back to back. One day you're feeling really peaceful. And you go, oh, this is really nice. I like everybody, right? And the next day you're filled with anger and resentment or you didn't get enough sleep or you you, you stubbed your toe and you go in the same situation. This is miserable. Nothing has changed about the situation except you. So that's part of what we reflect on here. Through your body, through your mouth, through your mind, you can change everything. You can change 
the world, or at least your experience of it. If you want to be an angry and divided and greedy person, your choice. Buddha, Buddhism has a lot of personal responsibility. If you want to be peaceful, gentle, whole, allowing, also your choice. And of course, you know what I would recommend. It's a lot like this Buddha statue here. When I was seeing Zazen for a moment, I was over here and I looked. If I get right in the right place here, you can't tell if that is a one-inch Buddha statue or a 10-foot bronze Buddha statue that I hauled here to Tokyo on the train and stuck in the corner behind me. Is it in front of me and I'm behind it? Or is it this big statue behind me? You know, and I'm sitting in front of it. I'll let you guess. Yes, I hauled a 10-foot bronze Buddha statue all the way with me to Tokyo to put in this hotel room today. Now, I'll move over here and you can tell right away. You see, there are different ways to look at the same thing. It's up to you. And look at us all on the screen. I'm on my little phone here, so I can't see everybody at the same time. But I'm seeing Jan and Brad and Sekishi and me all on one screen. So are we one or are we divided? Yes. It's how you look at it. Is it all light or is that really Brad or just am I looking at light on pixels bouncing into my eyes? Yes. Hi, Brad. So all how you look at things. So this verse of atonement reminds us to look at things and act in certain ways because it's our choice. And then it says, now I atone for them all. This means, of course, atone is a word which means to say you're sorry, to reflect, to try to fix what you can in the past. And if you can not fix it, Part of karma is, you know, you can always balance accounts. There was someone who was very, very bad to his daughter years ago when he was drunk. And he said he can never fix that. But now he has grandchildren and he has become the best grandfather he could be because he's a different person. He cannot fix the past, but he can atone and try to do better for the future. We all have that choice. And finally, this is one of the cute things in English that you can't actually do in Japanese. You not only atone, but you at one. You get it? A-T-O-N-E, atone, at one. Yes. Top hat. Because all our actions also go back into the great wholeness the great peace, the great beauty, where there are no children to be hurt. There are no people to be feeling pain inside. There are no drunks. There are no wars. Believe me, trust me, we, we believe in this thing, <laughs> this, this whatever. I shouldn't even say a thing. We believe in this, this great wholeness that's so whole that there are no drunks 
and there are no abused children, and there are no wars. We believe that. And yet, guess what? There are. Here in samsara, samsara means this world. There are. So even though we at one all these things, down here on earth, which is also this other place, but that's another story. They're not, they're not two. Like the Buddha statue before, the Buddha statue behind, the Buddha statue that's just me. Oh, look, I can put my arm. Look, now I became the Buddha statue. You see my hand? That's a little. You can do all these things at once. But down here at, on earth, let's be good. And what does good mean? I say we are not great philosophers in Zen. Good is things that are, I usually say, helpful, H-E-L-P-F-U-L, and healthful, H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-R. Please do not spend a lot of time debating what that is. You know it when you see it. Which leads to our next chant, the four vows. It begins with to save all sentient beings. Some people with their childhood religion, usually from Christianity, have trouble with the saving because uh, I, I went to college at a Baptist university. People were trying to say, I was like one of two Jewish students at a Baptist university. It was like some people's school project to save me. Every, every week there was a knock on my door. Hi, I'm Carl. Have you heard the word? Thank you, Carl. I, I, after a while, I would just bow and say, thank you for really caring. But when we say saving in Buddhism, we mean more to show people something to heal their hearts, which is that great unity. Because the sentient beings live in a world of division. They live in a world of me and you and him and my friend and my enemy and winning and losing. They live in a world of sickness and health and death and birth and fear. I mean, we do too, because we're sentient beings. I do at least. I don't want you to get any impression that I am completely beyond any of this. This is hardwired into us, I'm telling you. It's part of the brain. You cannot get away from all fear. If you did, I heard of a woman who actually has no fear, and they got to watch her because she's going to kill herself three times a day by accident because she has no fear. She walks into traffic, you know, like that. We need our fear in moderation. But our job is to teach the sentient being something beyond all fear, something beyond all hate. I told the story when I had uh, cancer uh, I'm, three years ago. Uh, I was lying in the hospital bed, and sometimes I'm afraid. I got small kids. I'm worried what's their future. You know, me, am I ever going to get out of this bed? I'm pretty miserable. And at other moments, like the Buddha behind or the Buddha in front, man, it was good. It was fine. Bring on the cancer. Cancer, you are my friend. I'm ready to go. I'm not going anywhere. There is no death. I can't describe it. Read my book. It's all in there. <laughs> On sale next week. The Zen, what is it called? Zen Master's Dance. Yes. Anyway. Um, 
So we're saving the sentient beings by showing them the big B beautiful, the big W wholeness, the big B peace, okay? What's a sentient being? There was some philosophical debate in the precepts discussion. Is a rock a sentient being? Is a dog a sentient being? We actually have koans about this when, you know, the guy goes, does a dog have Buddha nature? Moo! Again, we don't philosophize on this too much. What's a sentient being? There's a few ways to look at this. A sentient being basically, for our purposes, means human beings because we got big brains. We think, what is death? We think about friends and enemies. We think about uh, winning and losing. So we're sentient beings. Don't make it more complicated than that. Is a dog or a cat a sentient being? Well, I would say, yeah, maybe, or a monkey, because they seem to also have some greed, friend and enemy, they kill, um, and they think about it. They seem to think. When I look at my cat, it looks like there's some thinking going on. So maybe, yeah, even a cat is a sentient being. But what about this bell here? Did Dogen say that the bell or the mountain outside or that building across the street is a sentient being? Well, yes and no. Okay, no, because this bell is not a sentient being because when I hit it, it doesn't care. At least I don't think it does. Let me ask, you care? Don't care. Doesn't care. Let me do that again. You care? Don't care. Okay. But in another sense, Dogen sometimes said it was kind of a sentient being, but not the kind of sentient being of people. It's a sentient being because it's your mind. It's you. You know, there is no bell here without you thinking it's a bell. It's just a bunch of atoms. There's no sound without your ear. There's no sound there without you hearing it. That hearing is going on right here between your ears. So the bell is your universe. The bell is a sentient being because we all are, because you are. So the bell is sentient. The mountain is sentient. And Dogen said, you know, the big B beautiful, the big W wholeness, the big F flowing, Buddha nature, the big Dharmakaya Buddha, the big, the big, what would you call it? The big McGillicuddy. The whole kit and caboodle. Buddha nature is all things. So all things are sentient beings. But yet we, we mean sentient beings, the ones we're trying to rescue, are the ones who really have thoughts of self-identity and other and division and likes and dislikes, me versus you, which basically we're trying to save people, maybe the animals, but people. And we try to save them, though their beings numberless. I wrote an essay this week about how our Zazen instantly saves all the sentient beings because all the sentient beings are included in our Zazen. And the wholeness is included in our Zazen. 
So when we sit zazen, our zazen is wholeness, and our zazen is all the sentient beings and the whole universe. So instantly, our zazen saves all the numberless sentient beings. The job is done. We can close up shop and go home. Except, again, like the Buddha before and the Buddha behind, that's only one way to see things. Because we still live in a world where most sentient beings don't know the job is done. So our job is not done because we have to show the sentient beings that the job has been done all along. Yeah, it's kind of a, what is a Mobius strip? One of those things that kind of feeds in. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, Zen has a lot of weird logic to it. There's nothing to do. Everything's complete and whole, but most people don't know that everything's complete and whole. So they're living in a broken wor world of lack and division. So we have to show them the wholeness because they only know the lack and division. So we have to, as the next line says, transform all delusions, though delusions inexhaustible. This world is endless broken pieces. We're never going to make this world perfect. We can't because we're pieces. No matter how fine a machine is, my computer, this phone here, it's a great device, but it's never perfect, right, Sekishi? I always got to call on Sekishi to fix it. So the delusions, the brokenness of this world will never be perfect. We can make it a lot better through our gentle, good actions, but we can never make this world perfect. It's inexhaustible. Sorry, 10,000 years from now, our future, what do you say? Future whatever is there, whoever is the next species to come after us will be complaining in some way, I'm sure, that something's not up to snuff, not perfect. But yet, we know in the wholeness that there are no broken pieces. So it is already done. Isn't that weird? When we see past the delusions, the job is done. And yet, here in the world, the job is not done. And this is perceiving reality. It's perceiving reality that's boundless. It's the boundless, unbroken wholeness, the fullness, without war, without abuse, without, without even the beautiful things, the good and the bad. Beyond all that, there's something really, really good, whole. And we want to see that reality that is boundless. And to do that, so long as we're alive in these bodies, we continue this practice. Someone asked me, when do I get to the end of this practice? When do I get, you know, I'm done. Do I get a certificate? My uh, daughter got her karate test this week. She apparently got, a, I think, a green belt. 
And she said, oh, I want to get my black belt because then I'm done. And the black belt turned to her and said, you fool. This is Japan. You know, it's a little kid, but still talks like, you know, this macho. It's a little girl about nine years old talking to another little girl. And she went, baka. That means silly in Japanese. There is no end. Black belt is beginning. It was amazing that deep masculine voice came out of a nine-year-old girl. You know, this little black belt nine-year-old. Telling, talking to my daughter. Black belt is beginning. It never ends. Because it's beginningless. It never began either. There's no place to go. There's nothing lacking. It's all good. It's all right here. The job is done. And yet life goes on every day. You have to walk the dog. You have to fix the things we did that are bad. You have to make other things better. This is our practice. Nothing to attain. But yet we try to attain the enlightened way, a way non-attainable. That doesn't mean it's always out of reach. It is kind of always out of reach. It also means by saying it's non-attainable, there's no need to reach it. To the wise eye, it's always right here. So we keep going. Okay. So anyway, this talk could go on forever too, into endlessness, but uh, I'm going to stop here. Um, I don't know how we do this on the phone here because I can only see a few people. In case someone has a question, Segeshi, can you see everybody? Would you call on the people? Or? Okay, if there's any questions. Segeshi, call on yourself. Thank you, Zendo. I... Uh... I wanted to update your simile about sailing. Um, I am a sailor from way back. I used to uh, race sailboats, particularly uh, little little um, racing dinghies like lasers. And when I was uh, when I was really like learning, um, there's techniques that you do in these little boats that are really hard. And my mentor once told me, if you didn't get wet at least once, every race, you weren't really trying. Um, so in your simile, you know, you wanted to get, you wanted to get to where you were going without capsizing. And I wanted to give you the, the racer, the sailing racers view of that simile, which is what you actually would train on. What I would train on when I was, you know, in, you know, during the rest of the year when you weren't you weren't in a regatta was capsizing and riding the boat again as quickly as you could. Um, and like I, I used to race in Annapolis and you could watch the uh, Naval Academy guys there on the racing team. You know, they were, some of them were bound for the Olympics. Right. And they would practice capsizing, going out to the race course, just in the water, out of the water, in the water, out of the water. And you know, we talked about these numberless beings that we are, that we are caring for. And, you know, we're, we're going over this in the precepts discussions, right? Like to a certain extent, 
harmful acts, words, and thoughts are inevitable. We're human beings. We're born in these body minds. We're going to mess up. We're going to hurt people. We're going to say things that are hurtful. We're going to do things that are not necessarily positive, even when we're trying to do positive things, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick on this example, but you know, I'm, uh, I'm a vegetarian and I'm not eating meat, so I'm not harming, harming animals. I'm only eating plant products. Well, to make fields, to grow plants, we destroy habitat for animals and animals are harmed. Like you're, there's nothing you can do to a certain extent. We're here in samsara. So we do this verse of atonement. It's like capsizing and riding the boat, capsizing and riding the boat. We make mistakes. We hurt and we get right back up and we atone and we live the next moment with positive intention and open hearts and open hands. So yeah, when we I don't know. Fall, that was... When we're on the boat or when we fall off the boat, it's still the water, same sea, you see. The sea is the sea, whether we're on the boat or we fall in. You know, this came up this week a little bit because I criticized uh, Trungpa. Rinpoche and Edo Shimano and Joshu Sasaki for abusing students. Those folks get much too much attention. I often say, don't forget the hundreds of teachers out there who don't do any harm. But someone got angry at me, uh, not angry, I mean, criticized me for criticizing them, saying, aren't they just deluded beings? You shouldn't criticize them. And I said, no, you're exactly right. They are deluded beings. Trungpa was very wise. Edo Shimano, I've heard some of his talks. He had a lot of insight, but part of him was very dark. There was a dark side, like in Star Wars. And um, they're victims of greed, anger, and ignorance. We don't say that Trungpa or anybody was a bad person. I mean, anybody was a bad person. We say there are sentient beings who act badly because of the poisons within them. They are victims, too. Okay, but at the same time, I do criticize because of the harm they did, and we should not just discount it. So when we do bad, too, we are victims, but yet there is personal responsibility. We have to do better. And the difference between, if you ask me, someone who does a little harm and someone who does a big harm is important. If I accidentally step on your toe or I psychologically uh, abuse you as a, as a teacher or as a psychologist, or uh, it's very different. So I'm not, I'm saying, oh, they're victims. But at the same time, it's important to say there are differences. And if someone acts badly enough, it's important to not just discount it as saying, well, that's just how they are. They're just imperfect beings. No, they're people who did a lot of harm. Okay, anyway, off my soapbox. Uh, yes, Brad. Good morning. Um, I wanted to look, when we look at the... Fuck up, real loud, real loud. Can you hear me? Yeah. Go ahead. When when we look at the four vows, go ahead. When we look at the four vows, the last one, 
to attain the enlightened way, a way non-attainable. I'll make this quick. Mahayana Buddhism, in my experience, has a much more practical approach to that line. Theravada, which was a lot of my background, talks about enlightenment as this grand attainment, this thing to get to, you know, the transcendence of samsara. And I find for people's minds, and I see this in the forum sometimes, it gives something to attach to, some destination to get to, some like grand fulfillment. Um, and it, it messes up people's practice because they're always chasing. Even the monks that I see here sometimes, they always want to go to a mountain or practice deeper or go somewhere more. Um, maybe you could address that from a Zen point of view. Yeah, no, I'm not going to criticize the Theravada in any way because that's mm. just a different path that people need to walk. I'm not going to be a French chef and say the only cooking is French cooking, Italian cooking is terrible. No, <laughs> it's, it's all the same. Now, look, look at this. Our path for both of us is walking through the mountains, wondering where's the mountain. The whole thing is the mountain to the Mahayana person, but yet we keep walking because we can always do better. And there is Buddha down the road. We're always looking at Buddha as kind of the perfection we're aspiring to. So we don't just say, oh, it's all a good mountain. I'm just going to sit here and to hell with it all. Quite the contrary. We keep walking the path, yet we know it's all the mountain. The Theravada might say, oh, I'm aspiring to Buddha and I'll keep walking. Same difference. Don't, what's right for you may be wrong for them. What's right for them may be wrong for you. Okay? Okay. For sure. So that's my, the way I take that. Uh, I'm going to have to bolt out of here in a couple of minutes. Any, one last question or anybody, Sekishi, do you see? One or two? Uh, Kate has a question. It's not so much of a question. <laughs> it's just regarding what Brad said. Can you hear me, Jundo? Yeah. Yeah. Pardon my ear. Regarding what Brad said, um, yeah. I, I think it's also a matter of the wording used because in uh, d different translation of, of the vows, the last part says, the Buddha way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. So that's a, a question of intent. Again, uh, your vow is to do your best within your knowledge and possibility to attain the, the to realize the Buddha way. Um, whether it's in this form or the other, your intent is really what matters. So, I mean, regarding what Brad said, I think that's really something important to to to, to mention. Yeah, yeah. Here, I can do this online too. Buddha says, let's ask Buddha. Buddha, what do you think? I think that's good. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> no, I really, I think uh, that was a very good way to uh, to summarize it. Uh, the Buddha for me, the image of Buddha, is really this perfect being who's never angry, who's never fearful, right? And we are aspiring to that because we can always be better, right? And we keep walking. Uh, what is that? There's a, the arrow, the physical principle. Uh, you know, the one, the arrow never goes halfway, 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 never quite gets there, right? You know that one? 
we never quite completely get there, but we're always aspiring and it's all the past. It's all the mountain and it's all our intent. Yeah. One, are we all done? Anyone else? I can't see Sekishi. Thank you for joining us for the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast Zazen, retreats, discussion, Jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.